0: Well, we have begun a series called Changed Minds, Changed Lives, and as we've been looking through this series thus far, we've seen the importance of, first of all, having a transformed mind. The fact that God renews our thinking and replaces it with that which is right. Last week, we saw from Colossians the importance of having a mind that is focused on spiritual things, on heavenly things. And we saw the importance of not getting bogged down in the things of this earth, but looking to the things of God. This week, what I wanted us to look into is peaceful thinking. And that is having a mind that has stayed on God, that is able to overcome the worries, the concerns of this world that can truly take our perspective and hold it hostage. Now, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, I thought about the importance of maturity to peaceful thinking. All of us have experienced traveling with kids, right? As you're going down the road and the kids are in the back seat, Some of the issues that can arise are, he's touching me, right? The personal space bubble is invaded. And that can seem like a major issue. You're looking and you're trying to settle the argument as to where one person's personal space stops and another one starts and nobody touches anybody. You know, you come up with all of these solutions. And when you look at it, what seems so important to that child in the moment If you saw a couple of adults doing that, you'd really wonder about them, because when you grow in maturity, you start to think a little differently. I think the same thing is true with us spiritually. As children of God, as the people of God, we need to think with spiritual maturity. We need to think in terms of not the short-term issues that seem so crucial to us in the moment, We need to think about the heavenly values that God teaches us in His Word. And really, that's what this series is intended to do. We want to get our thinking pointed in the direction that God would have us think. And so this morning, that's why we're looking into peaceful thinking that's laid out for us here in Philippians chapter 4. Now, as we start with the first verse, we see that we need to, first of all, if we're going to have peaceful thinking, we have to promote peace outwardly. When we look at the first verse, really the first verse of chapter 4 could just as easily go with the preceding verses of chapter 3. And when we are closing the third chapter, we see a huge perspective, and it is found in the 20th verse, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to himself. That's the goal. That's what we look to. That's the eternal thing that we're to fix our hearts and our minds and our eyes on. And so if that is true, chapter 4, verse 1, we will stand firm in the Lord. That's our calling. That's the big picture. I want to stand firm in the things of God, in the things of the Lord. Now, when we come to the second verse, unfortunately, there were some people in the church at Philippi who were not doing that. We find this addressed in this second verse by Paul speaking to, entreating, if you will, a couple of women who were in the church at Philippi. And this is what he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche By the way, Jim, good job on pronouncing that. That's the way I say it. Uh, By the way, too, when I was a young pastor, I had a fellow in the church one time say to me, if you don't know how to pronounce something, say it with authority, and people will think that you know what you're talking about. Good advice. At any rate, he was entreating Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, let's put this into perspective, because what we find here... Are two servants of Christ, in the church at Philippi, and they were having a disagreement. And the disagreement had reached such a level that the Apostle Paul heard about it as he's imprisoned. Bear in mind, when Paul wrote the book to the Philippians, this letter, this epistle, he was incarcerated, not knowing whether he would live or die So here are our two servants of God, they are in a disagreement, and as I think about this, I think of the many disagreements that I've seen after 38 years of ministry. And what really stands out to me as I think about some of the disagreements that I've witnessed is kind of like the illustration that I gave just moments ago, those things that often seem so important in the moment when it comes to ministry and the bigger picture are really not very important at all. We can get engaged in wanting to press what we want, and we lose perspective on the bigger picture, that ministry is about lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Ministry is about forwarding His kingdom. It's not about perpetuating a disagreement. All of us are going to have differing approaches. All of us are going to have differing opinions about how things should be done. And so, what the Word of God encourages us to do is to come to the place to where we can work together, to where we can agree to disagree. And this is what Paul was calling Yodia and Syntyche to do, to agree to disagree to come to the place to where they could serve alongside one another. Remember this, unity does not mean uniformity. We will have differences in approach, but what we must do is prioritize things in light of the gospel. Look at what verse 3 goes on to say. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow worker, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, carefully think about what this third verse is saying. Yodi and Syntyche were not troublemakers. They weren't false teachers. They weren't people who were looking to cause an insurrection in the church. There was probably some area of genuine disagreement as to approach. But you know what I've learned through the years? Any ministry that I serve in, any ministry that I have, has to be held with an open hand. As I serve God in the gospel, I need to trust God, and when I serve Him, I need to hold whatever God entrusts to me as a steward in serving Him with an open hand. Willing to let God change it, willing to let God remove me from it, willing to let God have somebody else come in and, and, and take over in an area that I'm serving in. God wants us to hold these things with an open hand. And this is what He was encouraging Yodi and Syntyche to do, to take their service in the gospel that they had faithfully done alongside the Apostle Paul and think about the bigger picture, the kingdom, the things of God. As a matter of fact, think about the biggest picture of all. I love the last part of that third verse. Look at what it says, whose names are written in the book of life, fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. You know, that says to me that we need to stop and think about the person sitting on the pew next to us or across the church from us, and remember, this is a fellow worker, a fellow servant of Jesus Christ, and their names are written in the book of life right alongside mine. We're together headed toward the same destination, heaven, as one whose name is written in the book of life. So, this outward peace is essential. We need to be people who are faithful to God, so faithful that we're willing to set aside whatever differences we might have with other believers and look to the long view the important view of serving God. But then the text pivots, and it moves from talking about this outward peace to an inward peace. And it reminds us that we are to pursue peace inwardly, and it begins with a perspective of joy that makes the Lord our focus. Now, no doubt, this part of the passage is very familiar to many of you but it really bears our thinking it through in a new and fresh way. When it says rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, Paul is laying out crystal clear a perspective that you and I need to share in. And that perspective is rejoicing in the Lord, taking delight in who the Lord is, what He has done, what we have to look forward to as far as spending an eternity with Him. That is the huge perspective builder that we can have when we rejoice in the Lord. Now rejoicing in the Lord can mean that we will suffer terrible suffering, afflictions, trials. Those things that make life a challenge that we normally would look at and say, How in the world can I rejoice in this? Well, guess what? You're not to rejoice in that. You're to rejoice in the Lord who will bring you through that. That's the perspective. Sometimes I think we get so distracted in the circumstances that can rob us of joy, good circumstances and bad circumstances, that we forget to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is really looking at who He is, what He is doing, how He is working, and trusting Him that His purposes are clear and that I can count on the fact that it will work to His glory and to my good. That's rejoicing in the Lord. Now, listen, rejoicing in the Lord Does not mean that I come to church with church face on. You guys know what church face is? You're depressed, you're angry, you're discouraged. When you're coming out of the house, you know, then you pull into the parking lot. Well, hello, brothers and sisters. It's all good. And that's the way we think we have to come into church. That's not rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord means my perspective is fixed on Him, and I trust that His purposes are being accomplished, and my joy will not be circumstantially driven. My joy is because I have a relationship with the Lord, the one who is sovereign and in control over everything. That's the idea that we're to pursue as followers of God. Now, what happens when I do that? When I'm able to take things and really put it into perspective, really understand that my joy is Christ centered, centered on the Lord, not on the circumstances that are all around me, I'm going to be unflappable. Look at what that fourth verse goes on to say. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He repeats it twice. He's making emphasis. And then he moves into that fifth verse when he says this, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, this translation of reasonableness, it's really intriguing because when you look at a variety of translations, that word reasonableness is translated in many different ways. For instance... It's translated gentleness in the Net Bible. It's translated moderation in the King James Bible. The Living Bible says unselfish and considerate. And the New American Standard, forbearance. Here's the idea. A testimony to those around me is my ability to rejoice in the Lord in my interactions with them, and in my responses to circumstances. When people view us, how do they see us? As I've looked at some godly people that I've known who have undergone terrible, terrible trials, I've looked at them and I've seen them as unflappable. I'm looking and saying, man, where did they get their strength to go through this. And then I remember, oh yeah, their perspective is I will rejoice in the Lord even in this because there's a spiritual maturity. You know what happens when we're circumstantially based? We're on a spiritual roller coaster ride. We are on top of the world or we are as they say in West Virginia, so low you couldn't crawl under a snake's belly with stilts on. We will be all over the place, right? What we need to remember is the way that I get consistency is to have that immovable object of a focus on the Lord, not on the circumstances around me. Not on the concerns that I might have. So that's why the Word of God is telling us in this text to let our reasonableness be known to everyone. Then this motivation, look at the last part of that fifth verse The Lord is at hand. Now, the Lord is at hand can have a couple of connotations. Number one, when we look at chapter 3, verse 19, We're reminded that Jesus Christ is appearing soon. So the Lord is at hand can have the idea of Jesus Christ is coming soon, and we should live in light of that truth. But also, the Lord is at hand is also the idea that we are ever before His presence. We are never without the Lord. He reminds us, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a perspective builder, that I'm not alone. That I have Jesus Christ right here with me to get me through this. That's how we are able to face the difficulties of life, the trials of life, and still rejoice in the Lord. But you know, there's another key, and that is we're to pray instead of worry. Look at the sixth verse do not be anxious about anything. Now, there are some who will say, kind of flippantly, ah, don't worry about it. We all remember the song years ago, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? Let me say this. Worry is something that can dominate our thinking. It can hold us captive. It can cause us to enter into a cycle of thought that takes our eyes off of the joy that we experience in the Lord, and off of the fact that He is in control, that He is in charge. I don't know about you, but with me, what I find very often when I worry is that I yield myself to that worry. I give in to it. I buy into it. I think there's a, a spiritual battle that often rages in our minds. As the evil one constantly suggests thought processes that can lead us deeper into worry, and we respond. We buy into it. The Word of God here is telling us not to be anxious about anything. Now, when we're not in a situation that's uncertain, that's an easy passage of Scripture to read. But when we're awaiting a diagnosis, when we're wondering what we're going to do about our finances, any number of those worries can captivate our thoughts and take our eyes off of God. The idea that Paul is expressing is very much like what Jesus reminds us of in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had a lot to say about worry. In the sermon on the mount he said therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or what your body or about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing now these are legitimate concerns aren't they am i going to have something to drink am i going to have something to eat will i have clothes for my body look at what the text goes on to say look at the birds of the air They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You know, this is what God's Word wants us to remember. God is in charge of all of these things. I need to surrender to God and be willing to accept whatever God does in any one of these areas. But how do I pull that off? How do I reboot that cycle of worry that I've fallen into? I think the answer is given right here in this text. Notice it says, do not be anxious about anything, and then a word of contrast. But in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the key. Now, when the Word of God tells me to pray, what's it talking about? Three words are used for prayer in this one passage of Scripture. And the first one is a generalized word that just simply means talking to God. It means that I come before Him and I speak to God. It contains the idea of worship, but it also has the idea of perspective, that I am coming before God Almighty. In other words, it gets my perspective off of me, and it shifts it to God. If when I'm praying, all I do is look at the things that concern me around me, then that's where my mind is going to gravitate. But if I focus on God, rejoicing in Him, trusting in Him, then that can reboot the thought process. How many times do we find ourselves worrying, getting our minds fixated on all of the problems that could potentially come into play, and then when we become so miserable we can't stand it, then we say, well, I guess I should pray about this. i do it. We all do. What God is saying in this text is, think of me first. Pray. Lift those things up to me and trust me in it. That's the idea. Now, the next word that is used is supplication. When we think about supplication, that's where we bring our requests before God. That is where we list the things that we're concerned about. And listen, this isn't a one-way conversation where we just say, okay, God, uh, I want you to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And by the way, I won't be satisfied unless it works this way, this way, this way, and this way, right? That's often the way that we do our lists before God. It is saying, God, these are the things that I'm concerned about. I will trust you to work in them as you see fit. Change my thinking to align with your thinking. That's the idea. Supplication. Letting God know our heart. And by the way, when we pray, those prayers of supplication, I don't mean to diminish the importance of letting God know what's on our heart and what we desire, but what I diminish is by saying, God, this is what I desire and I can't be satisfied or fulfilled unless it happens this way. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer yes to some of the things that we've asked Him for? We would be in horrible condition because we're short-sighted. We can't see all of the things that God has in store for us. So we're short-sighted, very much like children who ask for things that are not good for them. And as a parent, you have the longer view and you walk in and you say, no, you can't have that. That's not good for you. But I want to eat the whole chocolate cake. Can't have it. It's not good for you. God tells us that we are to turn to Him, to focus on Him, to trust in Him. Look at the last part of this that's mentioned. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The context for all of this is gratitude. You know, when I really think about what it is to be thankful It is me coming to terms with the fact that everything that I have, everything in my life is a gift from God. It was given to me. I need to rest in who God is and trust Him. As you look back over your life and you see how God has taken the things that have happened to you in your life, and He has used them to shape and mold you into the kind of person that He wants you to be, You can look on that with thanksgiving and say, God, thank you. I survived that. I made it through that. I'm stronger for it. And I have a deeper understanding of you. Many of us experience terribly painful things in our lives. And we're in the midst of it and we're wondering, what purpose does this serve? But on the other side, you look at it and you say, wow, I learned so much. What a blessing to have God work in my life, and bring these things into my life to shape and mold me into the image of Christ. Look at what happens when we think in this way, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you want to have victory over anxiety, the Scripture gives us the formula take it to God, leave it with God, and in so doing, you will have the peace of God. This isn't something that we trump up in and of ourselves, that we talk ourselves into. This is something that God supernaturally gives us as God that far exceeds any of my human abilities. It is the peace of God, not a false peace, Not a pretense, external peace, but an internal peace given by God Himself. And what does that do? First of all, it defies explanation. Man, I have seen some Christians go through some things that I look at, and as I said earlier, I just wonder, wow, that's beyond my understanding as to how they're making this through this as they are. That's what the peace of God does. It surpasses our understanding because God gives us what we need in the moment. And when I can have confidence in that, when I can trust in that, look at the last part of that seventh verse. It's going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Now, what does a guard do? A guard watches out, but a guard's primary responsibility keep bad guys from getting in, right? That's the idea of a guard. You know, that's what having the right perspective on God and what He's doing will do for us. It keeps the bad thoughts. It keeps that loss of perspective from invading our minds and our hearts and taking our eyes off of Jesus. God wants us to be people who focus on Jesus Christ. Last part of the passage. As we come to the 8th verse, we find that as believers wanting to mature in our walk with God, we have to pursue disciplined thinking. And what we find is that is what truly leads to peace. So when we come to the 8th verse, what we find is a way to program our minds with virtuous things. You know, Our minds are bombarded with things that will take our eyes off of God and our thoughts off of God. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, there is a world system around us that seeks to compress us into its image so that we will think and behave as it does How do I defend against that? How do I pursue this peaceful thinking that we've talked about so far throughout this sermon? By programming my mind with right things. Look at that eighth verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable... If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now let's ponder for just a moment what some of these elements are. First of all, when the Word of God says, whatever is true, you know what it's saying to us? As the followers of God, we have the responsibility of thinking about what God has revealed, His truth his word. That is what is genuinely true. So I am to think about things and I'm to measure up the things around me in the light of God's word. That's what I'm doing when I think about what is true, whatever is honorable. The idea of honorable is this, that which is worthy of respect. In other words, I would be glad that other people know that I think about these things. How many of us would love to have broadcast our thought life. Yikes. You know, I am so thankful for the pastoral poker face <laughs> that when somebody says something to me that I really don't like, well, okay. Inside, I'm like, you. <laughs> Outside, I'm like, well, praise God. <laughs> right? Right? We want to think about the things that are honorable. What about the things that are just? When we think about the things that are just, we're thinking about the things that God has revealed in His Word as to the moral boundaries that we're to function within. So what I'm to do is I'm to program my mind with that which is just. Listen, in, in the things that I read, in the things that I listen to, in the movies that I watch, are they promoting those thoughts that are right and just? Or do they cause me to gravitate toward hateful thinking? You know, I love the old westerns, and they're totally revenge-based. And that old nature in me looks at that and goes, yeah, you shoot them up good, right? (laughs) We need to think in terms of that which is just. What about pure, whatever is pure? When the Scripture talks about purity, it's talking about unmixed with those things that can pollute our thinking. It is righteous living on a consistent basis. Those are the things that I'm to focus my mind on, that I'm to think about. Lovely. Now, most often when we hear the word lovely, we think in terms of, oh, she's lovely or that's beautiful. That's not the idea. The word that's used here really denotes the idea of things that lead us toward love. This is what God wants us to focus our minds on, the things that are commendable. In other words, the things that will lift us up, not the things that constantly harangue us and bring us down. That's what it is to think about that which is admirable or commendable. And then he goes on to say this, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. Excellence means those things that conform to the highest of standards, And the last part, worthy of praise, is pretty much self-explanatory, isn't it? The idea is, these are the ways that I reprogram my thinking. Not focusing on thought patterns and thought processes that are the opposite of these things. So, let's run this through a practicality situation. If... I am thinking about something that I know in my heart is not in characteristic of these things, not a characteristic of this type of thinking. I'm to stop it, and I'm to redirect. That's the idea of this passage of Scripture, because if I move into thinking that is outside of God's truth, what's going to happen? I'm going to start thinking about the world I'm going to start thinking like the world, and then I'm going to move into all of the things that are described in this passage that we're to avoid, the anxiety, all of those things are going to captivate our thinking. Last part of the passage. When we come to verse 9, we see this call right on the heels of telling us how to think about how we're to live. We're to put into practice what we've learned. Now, look carefully at this ninth verse. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know, the important truth about our faith is this. We don't grow by simply accumulating knowledge. Just because I can pass an exacting theological exam just because I can share with you some of the major doctrines of the Scripture, things that Christians ought to do, it means nothing. Unless I'm putting those things into practice, then it has no value. The Word of God talks about the importance of not just being a hearer of the Word of God, but also a doer. James said this, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, Who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Folks, this is what we need to pursue if we're going to have changed minds that lead to changed lives. Not just coming and listening to sermons and going home and listening to sermons on Moody or whatever your favorite Christian station is and watching some Christian TV and then walking away saying, wow, that's really good. Now I'm going to go live the way I want to live. It's looking at it and saying, I'm going to practice these things. The things that have been shared with me from the Word of God, I'm going to live, I'm going to practice. When we live inconsistently with that, we are not at peace spiritually. We suffer, we fall into sin patterns in the way we live. Sinful thought processes that take our eyes off of God and we lose our joy that we're called to experience moment by moment because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're worried about something, take it to God in prayer and leave it there. And stop the worry process that causes you to focus on your circumstances and focus instead on the Lord and the things that He has revealed in His Word. Reprogram your minds with God's truth. Heavenly Father, thank You for this text. Thank You so much for the joy that You give so freely to any who ask. And God, my prayer for our church family is that each one here will rejoice in the Lord, will be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make their requests known unto you, Lord, so that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus.